Chapter One of A Red Wallflower by Susan Warner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Red Wallflower by Susan Warner. Note to the Reader The story following is again in its whole chain of skeleton facts a true story. I beg to observe, in particular, that the denominational feeling described in both families, with the ways it showed itself, is part of the truth of the story, and no invention of mine. S. W. Martlare's Rock, June twenty fifth, 1884 CHAPTER One, AFTER DANDELIONS it is now a good many years ago that an English family came over from the old country and established itself in one of the small villages that are scattered along the shore of Connecticut. Why they came was not clearly understood, neither was it at all to be gathered from their way of life or business. Business properly they had none, and their way of life seemed one of placid contentment and unenterprising domestic pleasure. The head of the family was a retired army officer, now past the prime of his years, tall, thin, grey, and grave, but a gentleman through and through. Everybody liked Colonel Gainsborough, although nobody could account for a man of his age leading what seemed such a profitless life. He was doing really nothing, staying at home with his wife and his books. Why had he come to Connecticut at all? If he lived for pleasure, surely his own country would have been a better place to seek it. Nobody could solve this riddle. That Colonel Gainsborough had anything to be ashamed of, or anything to be afraid of, entered nobody's head for a moment. Fear or shame were unknown to that grave, calm, refined face. The whisper got about, how it is impossible to say, that his leaving home had been occasioned by a disagreement with his relations. It might be so. No one could ask him, and the colonel never volunteered to still curiosity on the subject. The family was small. Only a wife and one little girl came with the colonel to America, and they were attended by only two old retainers, a man and a woman. They hired no other servants after their arrival, which, however, struck nobody as an admission of scantness of means. According to the views and habits of the countryside, Two people were quite enough to look after three, the man outside and the woman inside the house. Christopher Bounder took care of the garden and the cow, and cut and made the hay from one or two little fields. And Mrs. Barker, his sister, was a very capable woman indeed, and quite equal to the combined duties of housekeeper, cook, lady's maid, and housemaid, which she fulfilled to everybody's satisfaction, including her own. However, after two or three years in Seaforth, these duties were somewhat lessened, the duties of Mrs. Barker's hands, that is, for her head had more to do. Mrs. Gainsborough, who had been delicate and failing for some time, at last died, leaving an almost inconsolable husband and daughter behind her. I might say with truth quite inconsolable, for at the time I speak of, a year later than Mrs. Gainsborough's death, certainly comfort had come to neither father nor daughter. It was one morning in springtime. Mrs. Barker stood at the door of her kitchen and called to her brother to come in to breakfast. Christopher slowly obeyed the summons, 
leaving his spade stuck upright in the bed he was digging, and casting loving looks as he came at the budding gooseberry bushes. He was a typical Englishman, ruddy, fair-skinned, blue-eyed, of very solid build, and showing the national tendency to flesh. He was a handsome man, and, not without a sufficiency of self-consciousness, both as regarding that and other things. Mrs. Barker was a contrast, for she was very plain, some years older than her brother, and of rather spare habit, though large frame. Both faces showed sense, and the manner of both indicated that they knew their own minds. "'Season's late,' observed Mrs. Barker, as she stepped back from the door and lifted her coffee-pot on the table. "'Uncommon late,' answered her brother. "'Buds on them gooseberry bushes, only just showin' green. "'Now everything will be comin' all together in a heap in two weeks more. "'That's the way of this blessed climate. "'And then when everything's started, maybe a frost will come and slap down on us. "'Peas in? Peas in a fortnight ago. "'They'll be showin' their heads just now.' "'Christopher, can you get me some greens to-day?' "'Greens for what?' "'Why, for dinner. Master likes a bit of boiled beef now and again, which he used to anyway, and I thought greens is kind of seasonable at this time of year, and I'd try him with them. But, law, he don't care no more what he eats.' "'How is the old gentleman?' "'Doing his best to kill hisself, I should say.' "'Looks like it,' said Christopher, going on with a good breakfast the while in a business manner. "'When a man don't care no more what he eats, "'the next thing will be he'll stop it, "'and then there's only one more thing he will do.' "'What's that?' "'Die, to be sure.' "'He ain't dying yet,' said Mrs. Barker, thoughtfully. "'But he ain't doing the best he can with his life, for certain. "'Can you get me some greens, Christopher?' "'Nothing in my department. "'I can take a knife and basket and find you some dandelions.' "'Will you go fur to find him?' "'No further I can help. "'You may make your affidavit, "'with all there is to do in the garden yet. "'What's about it?' "'If you're going to walk, "'I'd let Missy go along. "'She don't get no chance for no diversion whatsomever "'when young Mr. Dallas don't come along. "'She just mopes, she do. "'And it's on my mind, "'and Master, he don't see it. "'I wish he would.' "'The little one does wear an uncommon solemn countenance,' "'said the gardener.' who was in his way quite an educated man, and used language above his station. "'It do vex me,' repeated the housekeeper. "'But young Mr. Dallas comes along pretty often. If Miss Esther was a little older now, we should see no more of her solemnity. What had Master say to that?' "'It's good things is as they be, and we've no need to ask. I don't want no more complications for my part. It's hard enough to manage as it is.' "'But things won't stay as they be,' said the gardener, with a twinkle of his shrewd blue eye as he looked at his sister. "'Do you expect they will, Sarah? Miss Esther's growing up fast, and she'll be an uncommon handsome girl, too. Do you know that?' "'I shouldn't say she was what you'd go for to call handsome,' returned the housekeeper. "'I doubt you haven't an eye for beauty. Perhaps one ought to have a bit of it oneself to be able to see it in others.' "'Well, I haven't it,' said Mrs. Barker, "'and I never set up to have it, "'and I always thought Rosie's cheeks went with beauty, "'and Missy has no more colour in her cheeks, poor child, "'than, well, than I have myself.' "'She's got two eyes, though.' "'Who hasn't got two eyes?' said the other scornfully. "'Just the folks that haven't an eye,' said the gardener, "'with another twinkle of his own. 
But I tell you there ain't two such eyes as Miss Esther's between here and Boston. Look out, other folk will find it out soon if you don't. There ain't but three years between twelve and fifteen, and then it don't take but two more to make seventeen. Three and two's five, though, said Mrs. Barker, and five years is a long time, and Miss Esther ain't twelve yet, neither. Then when will you be gone after the greens, Christopher? It'll be a bit yet. I'll let you know. The fair spring morning was an hour or two further on its way, accordingly, when the gardener and the little girl set out on their quest after greens. Yet it was still early, for the kitchen breakfast was had betimes. The gardener carried a basket, and Esther too did the like. In hers there was a small trowel, for she might find something, she said. Esther always said that, although hitherto her findings had amounted to nothing of any account, unless indeed I correct that and say in any eyes but her own. For in Esther's eyes every insignificant growth of the woods or the fields had a value and charm inexpressible. Nothing was common to her, and hardly anything that grew was relegated to the despised community of weeds. What are you going for now, Christopher? she asked as they trudged on together. "'Well, miss, my old woman there has sent me for some greens. "'She has a wild tooth for greens, she has,' he said, half to himself. "'What sort of greens can you get?' "'There's various sorts to be had, Miss Esther. "'A great variety of the herbs of the field are good for eating, "'at the different times of the year, even here in this country, "'and I do suppose that I ain't a poor on the face of the earth.' "'Then this country, then Seaforth, oh, Christopher!' "'Well, um, it beats all I ever knew for poorness. "'You should see England once, Miss Esther. "'That's the place for gardens, and the fields is always green, "'and the flowers do be beautiful, and when the sun shines, it shines. "'Here it burns.' "'Not to-day,' said Esther gleefully. "'How nice it is!' "'She might say so, for if the spring is rough in New England, "'and there is no denying it, there do nevertheless come days of bewitching, entrancing, delicious beauty in the midst of the rest. Days when the air and sky and sunlight are in a kind of poise of delight, and earth beneath them is, as it were, still with pleasure. I suppose the spring may be more glorious in other lands, more positively glorious, whether relatively I do not know. With such contrasts before and behind them, contrasts of raw chill air and rough cutting winds with skies of gray and gloom one of these perfect days of a lost paradise stands in a singular setting it was such a day when esther and christopher went after dandelions still balmy air a tender sky slightly veiled with spring mistiness light and warmth so gentle that they were a blessing to a weary brain yet so abundant that every bud and leaf and plant and flower was unfolding and outspringing and stretching upward and dispensing abroad all it had of sweetness. The air was filled with sweetness, not the heavy odors of the blossoms of summer or the south, but a more delicate and searching fragrance from resinous buds and freshly opened tree flowers and the young green of the shooting leaf. I don't know where spring gets it all, but she does fling abroad her handfuls of perfume, such as summer has no skill to concoct, or perhaps she lacks the material. Esther drew in deep 
breaths for the mere pleasure of breathing, and looked on all the world of nature before her with an eye of quiet but intense content. Christopher had been quite right in his hint about Esther's eyes. They were of uncommon character. Thoughtful, grave, beautiful eyes, large and fine in contour and color, too grave for the girl's years. But Esther had lived all her life so far, almost exclusively with grown people, and very sober grown people too, for her mother's last years had been dulled with sickness, and her father's with care, even if he had not been, which he was, of a taciturn and somber deportment in the best of times. And this last year had been one heavy with mourning. So it was no wonder if the little girl's face showed undue thoughtfulness, and a shade of melancholy all premature. And Christopher was honestly glad to see the melancholy at least vanish under the influence of the open earth and sky. The thoughtfulness, he hoped, would go too, some day. The walk in itself offered nothing remarkable. Fields where the grass was very green and fast-growing, other fields that were rocky and broken, and good for little except the sheep, and sometimes rose into bare ridges and heights where spare savins were mingled with a variety of deciduous trees, such was the ground the two went over this morning. This morning, however, glorified everything. The fields looked soft, the moss and lichens on the rocks were moist and fresh-coloured, gray and green and brown. The buds and young leafage of the trees were of every lovely hue and shade that young vegetation can take, and here and there Esther found a wild flower. When she found one, it was very apt to be taken up by the roots with her little trowel, and bestowed in her basket for careful transport home. And on the so endangered beauties in her basket, Esther looked down from time to time with fond and delighted eyes. "'Are you going for cresses, Christopher?' "'No, Miss Esther, not at this time. Sarah has a mind set that she must have boiled greens for dinner, and her will must be done. And here is the article, not boiled yet, however.' He stopped and stooped, and with a sharp knife cut a bunch of stout-looking leaves growing in the grass, then made a step to another bunch a yard off, and then to another. "'What are they, Christopher?' "'Just dandelions, Miss Esther.' Leontodon taraxacum. Dandelions? But the flowers are not out yet. No, Miss Esther, if they was out, Sarah might whistle for her greens. Why? You could tell better where they are. They wouldn't be worth the finding, though. Christopher went on busily cutting. He did not seem to need the yellow blossoms to guide him. How can you be sure, Christopher, that you are always getting the right ones? "'Know the look of their faces, Miss Esther.' "'The flowers are their faces,' said the little girl. Christopher laughed a little. "'Then what are the leaves?' said he. "'I don't know. The whole of them put together shows the form of the plant.' "'Well, Miss Esther, wouldn't you know your father? The colonel, as far off as you could see him, just by his figure?' "'But I know Papa so well.' "'Not better than I know the Leon Totem.' See, Miss Esther, look at these runcinate leaves. Runcinate? Tooth pinnitift. That's what it gets its name from, lion's tooth. Leontodon comes from two Greek words which mean a lion and a tooth. See, there ain't another leaf like that in the whole meadow. 
"'There are a great many kinds of leaves,' said Esther, musingly. "'Like men's human figures,' said the gardener sagely. "'Ain't no two on em just alike.' Talking and cutting, they had crossed the meadow and come to a rocky height which rose at one side of it, such as one is never very far from in New England. Here there were no dandelions, but Esther sought eagerly for something more ornamental, and she found it. With exclamations of deep delight, she endeavored to dig up a root of bloodroot, which lifted its most delicate and dainty blossom a few inches above the dead leaves and moss, with which the ground under the trees was thickly covered. Christopher came to her help. "'What are you going to do with this now, Miss Esther?' "'I want to plant it out in my garden. Won't it grow?' Christopher answered evasively. "'These ye prudy little things is freaky,' said he. "'They has notions. Now, the sanguinaria likes just what it has got here, a little bit of rich soil, under shade of woods, and with covering of wet dead leaves for its roots. It's as dainty as a lady.' "'Sanguinaria,' said Esther. "'I call it bloodroot.' "'Sanguinaria canadensis. That's its name, Miss Esther.' "'Why isn't the other name its name?' "'That's its nickname, you may say. Look here, Miss Esther.' "'Here's the hepatica for you.' Esther sprang forward to where Christopher was softly pushing dead leaves and sticks from a little low bunch of purple flowers. She stretched out her hand with a trowel, then checked herself. "'Won't that grow either, Christopher?' "'It'll grow here, Miss Esther. "'See, ain't that nice,' he said, as he bared the whole little tuft. Esther's sigh came from the depths of her breast as she looked at it lovingly. "'This is Hepatica acutiloba. "'I dare say we'd find the other, "'if we had time to go all over the other side of the hill.' "'What other?' "'The Americana, Miss Esther. "'But I'm thinking them greens must go in the pot.' "'But what is this lovely little thing? "'What's its name, I mean?' "'It's the Hepatica, Miss Esther. "'Folks call it liver-leaf. "'We ought to find the aquilegia by this time, "'but I don't see it.' "'Have you got dandelions enough?' All I'll try for. Here's something for you, though, said he, reaching up to the branches of a young tree, the red blossoms of which were not quite out of reach. Here's something pretty for you. Here's Acer rubrum. And what is Acer rubrum? Just soft maple, Miss Esther. Oh, that is beautiful. Do you know everything that grows, Christopher? No, Miss Esther. There's no man living that does that. They say it would take all one man's life to know just the orchids of South America, without mentioning all that grows in the rest of the world. There's an uncommon great number of plants on the earth, to be sure. And trees. Ain't trees plants, Mum? Are they? Christopher, are those dandelions weeds? No, Miss Esther, they're more respectable. But how do you know they're not weeds? Christopher laughed a little, partly at his questioner, partly at the question. Nevertheless, the answer was not so ready as usual. "'They ain't weeds, however, Miss Esther. That's all I can tell you.' "'What are weeds, then?' "'I don't know, Mum,' said Christopher grimly. "'They're plants that has no manners.' "'But some good plants have no manners,' said Esther, amused. "'I know I've heard you say they ran over everything and wouldn't stay in their places. You said it of Moss Pink and Lily of the Valley. Don't you remember?' "'Yes, Mum. I've cause to remember. By the same token I've been trimming to the box. 
that thing grows whenever my back is turned. But it isn't a weed? No, mum, no, mum. The Boxus is a very distinguished family indeed, and holds a high rank, it does. Then I don't see what is a weed, Christopher. End of chapter one. Recording by Hannah Mary.